0: Well, we are, going to, we are going through. We just started recently a study through the book of 2 Timothy. So, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we are going to be reading verses 8 through 12. So, 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 12. And if you're able to do so, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word this morning. Give ear to the word of God. Paul writes. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, uh, my original plan when I sat down uh, during study and writing the sermon out was to preach through verses 8 through 12 to kind of go over the whole section. And as I started writing and, and working on it, it became apparent that I was going to be preaching mainly on verse 8. So we will go through the rest of the passage. We'll touch on little bits of it here and there this morning. But we're going to spend most of our time, I think, on verse 8. And I think that we'll see why that is as we go through this morning. Uh, verse 8, in some ways, is where you see the point that Paul has been driving towards in his letter to Timothy in those opening verses of the letter. Uh, the opening there, he is pointing to Timothy to exhort him and us to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but rather to share in suffering with him for the sake of the gospel by the power of God. That's, that's, you could say that that's kind of the theme of the entire letter. He doesn't say this is why I'm writing, but that really is kind of what carries out through the rest of the letter. And that's that's kind of the choice that's set before you and I in this in this passage this morning, either being ashamed of the gospel, which we as believers in Christ should never do, or suffering for the sake of the gospel. That's the choice. That's the choice that Paul faced and now was in prison on death row, as we know, as he wrote this letter. That's the choice that Timothy then faced in following in Paul's footsteps and that's the choice that we as believers in our day face today if we would be faithful in bearing witness to the gospel of Christ the the exact circumstances might be different but the choice is really the same to bear the, re, the reproach of the world for the sake of the gospel or to be to be silent and be ashamed of the gospel to be to be ashamed of the gospel it might be a strange sounding phrase if you're not familiar with it i remember uh, years ago, in my my early 20s, so it's a long time ago, when I was still in the Navy, uh, I had you know back then there were a lot of Christian T-shirts. You go to the Christian bookstore and buy your music and books, and they would have these clever T-shirts. And there was this one, and all it was was Romans one sixteen printed out on a shirt, and different phrases were bigger and smaller, and and uh, one of the but the biggest words on the shirt were, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel," and then the rest of the verse was there. And, uh, you know, back then I was stationed at Miramar when it was still a Navy base. And we had, uh, I don't remember what the, what the reason was, but there must have been some big country show. And I was stationed at Top Gun. And it was still pretty not- notable because of the movie that had come out about a year before that. And we had a bunch of, you know, uh, country artists at our, at, our, at our hangar. And they were checking out the planes. And my dad was a big country uh, fan. And so I'm like, I'm going to get some autographs from my dad and I'll mail them off. And uh, I think his name's Randy Owens, the lead singer of Alabama, was in one of our planes with one of our pilots. So I was in my civilian clothes. I had changed to go home and didn't know until I was on the way home that they were there. So I'm like, oh, I'll go out to the plane. Forgot what I was wearing, forgot I had that T shirt on. Yeah. So I walk up the, the ladder to the cockpit, and there's this singer, you know, and I'm, excuse me, sir, would you mind signing this? And he looks back, and I didn't know what he's looking at, but he looked really offended. And I looked down at my shirt, and I realized he was looking at the shirt. And he's a, he's a professing Christian. He thought it was saying I was ashamed. The biggest words were ashamed of the gospel. And he was, ugh, what in the world? So I, I explained, no, it's the whole verse and this and that. And I sheepishly ran away and took my, my autograph. Uh, but, you know, you could see the offense of that idea. Who would be ashamed of the gospel of their salvation? Uh, but really it's, it's not that hard to imagine when you think of what it really means is to be ashamed of the gospel is to essentially be so worried about the reproach Uh, in the eyes of an unbelieving world that hates Christ and his gospel, uh, that we would be silent about the message of the cross. If we would be faithful uh, to the Christ and his word, at times we're going to have to be willing to endure some kind of suffering and shame for it in the eyes of the world. And so you have to ask, are you willing to suffer, even suffer shame or anything else, for Christ and for the gospel of your salvation what does Jesus say in Matthew 16? He says, if anyone would come after me, what does he say? He must deny himself, take up his cross. Where was Jesus going? The cross. And follow me. Remember, even Peter was scandalized by that idea for a time when, when Jesus told him he was going to be going to the cross. And he said, no, far be it from you, Lord. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. If, if we're going to follow Christ. invariably in some ways it's going to uh, involve suffering well so in in some ways what Paul says in verse 8 is the central theme of the entire letter you could say that much of what Paul says throughout the rest of this brief epistle is in some ways just kind of expanding upon and explaining in detail what it means to not be ashamed of the gospel but to be willing to endure suffering uh, for his sake So let's look at a few things this morning. The first thing that Paul tells us in verse 8 is that we must not be ashamed of the message of the gospel. We must not be ashamed of the message of the gospel. Look again at verse 8. He says, therefore, pointing back to what he said in the first seven verses, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Just mention it, but Paul uses that same exact language in Romans 1.16 there. This is what my shirt said that offended the man for the time being. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also uh, to the Greek. So what is, what is Romans about? If I were to ask you to summarize the book of Romans in one sentence or one phrase Romans is Paul's, you know, you might call it his magnum opus on the gospel. The whole thing basically from start to finish 16 chapters is Paul's lengthy kind of distillation or explanation of the gospel from start uh, to finish. Uh, And the first thing he tells you practically in the letter is he wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And he shows that by teaching us the gospel throughout those 16 chapters and he tells us in verse 16, one of, one of it, at least, the main reasons why he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And, you know, Paul, you know, as we're going to see, suffered many things for the sake of the gospel. Uh, but he wasn't ashamed of it, even despite all that. And why is it? He says there, because or for, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel, the good news of salvation in, in Christ, um, is, is both the message of God regarding salvation, and it's also, what does he say it is there? The power of God unto salvation. That can be said of no other message on earth. There is nothing, no message, no thing on this earth that can be said to be the very power of God in saving sinners, except the gospel of Christ. So if we if we proclaim some other message, if as a church we depend on some other program or or such thing, we may gain a following. We may find great success as the world defines that term, but we will not see the power of God at work in saving sinners. There are no shortcuts. There are no other things that God uses to save sinners other than his word in the gospel of Christ. Uh, But have you ever read that passage in Romans 1 and wondered to yourself, why in the world would Paul say such a thing? Why would Paul feel the need to say that he wasn't ashamed of all things of the gospel? Why would any believer in Christ, much less an apostle, ever be tempted to feel shame uh, when it comes to the gospel? Well, if you've read your New Testament at all, if you've read the book of Acts and the things that happened to Paul in that book, if you've read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 – You know, there Paul is kind of dealing with uh, what some were calling super apostles. You know, there was the apostles and then there were the really important apostles and they weren't really apostles at all. And so Paul does something that is very counterintuitive in that chapter in 2 Corinthians 11. I'll leave that to your own reading, but I'll summarize it. Um, What the super apostles, so called, did, was gave their list of qualifications that were so impressive. Maybe they had letters commending them and all these things. Uh, Paul goes the other way. And what he does is he gives a very strange list of his apostolic qualifications. And what were they most of? Most of them were his sufferings. He mentions things like it was a litany of his sufferings. He mentions imprisonments, beatings, shipwreck, stoning, like being stoned and left for, hit with rocks and left for dead. Lashings, he mentions twice receiving 40 lashes minus one. I mean, that was a brutal bloody thing for him to endure, and he endured that for the sake of the gospel. And a, and a whole list of other things, if you read 2 Corinthians 11, verses 29 to 33, if you haven't read that before, prepare to be shocked. Those are the things that Paul underwent willingly for the gospel of Christ. In fact, you might know in the book of Acts chapter 9, when Paul was converted, his name used to be Saul of Tarsus. He was on the Damascus Road with papers in hand to arrest Christians. Uh, remember, he was blinded by the light, so to speak—not the ELO song or whatever—but blinded by the light of Christ. And then Jesus told uh, Ananias, "You're going go to go to, to Saul and talk to him, and you know, all these things." And, and Ananias, even though Jesus is telling him this—I'm summarizing—Ananias was like, "I don't know. You know, Saul's a dangerous man." And he tells him, "No, no. You know, go." Uh, but he tells him that he was going to tell. And show Saul the things he was going to suffer for his sake. Acts chapter 9 verses 15 to 17 it says this. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine. God chose him. Paul didn't choose God. God chose Saul. The Lord Jesus Christ chose Saul. Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. You see that exact thing happening throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Paul witnessing to the Gentiles, he was the apostle of the Gentiles, to kings. How many times did Paul get arrested and put on trial? And somehow he ends up before kings. Without the arrest, that doesn't happen. So Paul, Paul carried Jesus' name before kings and even the Gentiles and the children of Israel and he says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in that, in that brief uh, speaking to, to Ananias, Jesus says two things about Saul, soon to become Paul, right? He was going to carry my what? My name before all those people, Jews, Gentiles, and kings. And he was also going to suffer for the sake of, and there it is again, my name. Carry his name and suffer for his name. Those are the two things that Paul was called to do. And he tells him he's going to show Paul these things. And the rest of the book of Acts bears that out. So, To be ashamed of the gospel is to allow something, often the fear of suffering or reproach, to cause us to be silent and to fail to bear witness to the truth of the gospel of Christ. When you think of it that way, I think most of us could say, yes, I've been in some ways ashamed of the gospel. I've not been as vocal a witness as I should be. And sometimes it's because of fear of many different things, whether reproach or shame or embarrassment or suffering. You know, in our day, we see a similar fear, a similar temptation to fear in silence about a great many lesser things, don't we? Not, not just the gospel of Christ, but, you know, political correctness so-called has led many of those who hold what we might call conservative political views to keep their views to themselves. In our day, it seems like holding the wrong political view or supporting the wrong political candidate can be bad for one's reputation It can be bad for one's social standing, even bad for one's career, depending on where you are employed. The various social media in use today provide numerous examples, if you pay attention to it, of people's accounts being suspended for expressing views that are somehow in any way in contradiction to the current progressive view on a number of things. People are often censored or suspended for simply expressing basic facts of biology and ethics. That should in no way be controversial whatsoever. It seems that many are confused as to how many genders there now are, what a woman is or is not. We just had a Supreme Court justice nominee say she couldn't define or wouldn't define what a woman is, and yet she'll probably be confirmed. Many of the things that are of this kind that have been rightly understood and upheld throughout human history Has there ever been a time in history when educated people couldn't tell you what a woman was? Before our day, we live in strange times. Try to point out the fact that having biological males, that is, men, uh, competing in sports against biological females, that is, women, is unfair, immoral, and contrary to nature, and you now run the risk of being ostracized and having your social media account suspended. We'll see if our YouTube account stays live after this sermon. Nobody watches us, so we're probably safe. Uh, tens of people watch us. Uh, you know, even in the church, though, there is the temptation to be silent and ashamed of the truth of God on these same issues. You know, it's one thing in our day, even in our denomination, if you thunder in the pulpit loud and clear about the sins real or imagined that are the popular targets of the unbelieving world around us, such as patriarchy, white supremacy, Christian nationalism, or being in any way sympathetic to President Trump, and the world will pat you on the back to no end. But thunder against the sins that this culture holds dear and see what happens. Thunder against the sacred cattle of our unbelieving culture, and such as all forms of sexual immorality and perversion, homosexuality, abortion, government tyranny, and things like that. And watch how quickly the tables turn. Is this not at least partially the reason why so many pastors in our day preach messages that are only suited for itching ears and for the prevalence of the, uh, the entertainment model of worship that is so common in our churches today? It brings a crowd and it's also very safe. No one gets offended by such worship except maybe God. And I shouldn't even say maybe. Nobody gets offended at that kind of a preaching. That kind of of teaching and preaching. But is that kind of teaching and preaching really Christian in any meaningful sense? We must not be ashamed of the truth of God no matter what the subject may be. And that is doubly true when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he calls in verse 8 the testimony about or testimony of our Lord. And that includes the preaching and teaching of the biblical view of sin. Without the biblical view of sin, the message of the cross is meaningless without it. The gospel with no, with no context of sin is practically meaning, meaningless. That's why the world hates the message of the cross, because part of it exposes sin and wickedness. Well, the second thing we see in our text is not only that we are not to be ashamed of the message of the gospel, but Paul tells Timothy and us that we must also not be ashamed of the messengers of of the gospel, We shouldn't be ashamed, ashamed of the message or the messengers. Look at verse 8 again. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You know, we as believers in Christ must support the persecuted church and its ministers in any way that we can. Uh, as we have seen in the past year or so, it is no longer unheard of for evangelical pastors and ministers in the West to be imprisoned and arrested for the simple act of maintaining public worship and keeping their churches open. Couldn't have imagined that 10 years ago, and yet it's the case, and it was not, uh, not an uncommon thing, especially up north of the border during this pandemic. You know, in some places in our country, liquor stores and places of ill repute that we should we should be ashamed to mention were deemed essential while churches were ordered to be closed and limited to streaming our services online. And all of this is if the gathered church of the Lord Jesus Christ were not essential. And as if the fellowship of the saints and the, the partaking of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which cannot rightly be done virtually or online, were somehow not essential parts of true Christian worship. It's one thing for someone to be stuck at home, that's different. But for the church to neglect the gathering together is contrary to the command of Christ himself. What did Paul mean when he told Timothy not to be ashamed of him? I don't think it takes much to realize what he's what he's getting at. He clearly means that Timothy must not be afraid to be associated with Paul. He must be willing to stand by Paul and not abandon him. He must be willing to... St- to still come to see him in Rome, even though he was awaiting his execution. Back in verse 4, he told Timothy that he longed to see him, that he might be filled with joy. And then look at verses 15 and 18 of chapter 1. He says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are uh, Phygellus and Hermogenes. And then he says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed, there's that word, was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you, know, you uh, well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul tells him not to be ashamed of him, Christ's prisoner. And then he gives examples of those who were. People who had served with Paul at one point, but when the cost became too great and being associated with Paul and his sufferings became uh, too dangerous, they deserted him. They turned away from Paul in his hour of greatest need. They had faithfully served Paul along, along his side in the gospel until he actually needed them the most. He says, all who were in Asia turned away from me among those among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. Why did they turn away from Paul when he needed them the most? Because it may now have been dangerous to be associated with Paul. After all, remember, Paul was on what we would think of as death row, as if he were somehow a violent criminal offender just for preaching the gospel. If that can happen to Paul and you're preaching the gospel, it could happen to you too. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But he does mention one who wasn't. Onesiphorus he says was not ashamed of Paul's chains and it says he sought him out earnestly in other words it's one thing to get to Rome but it wasn't easy to find Paul and he didn't give up till he found him he found him he was he was what you might think of as a foxhole man he was somebody who was willing to get in the foxhole with Paul no wonder Paul praised him so much and prayed God's blessings upon him for that faithfulness and kindness to him now You know, we thankfully have not, I don't think, reached the point in our society quite yet. And I pray that God, in His mercy, restrains the wickedness in our land so that it might not degenerate to that point, uh, to such a wicked condition as was found in Rome. But we must still make it our aim as believers to support those seemingly few brave pastors and teachers who boldly preach and teach the whole counsel of God. You know, they are the ones who take all the heat of the battle. They are the proverbial tip of the spear. Such men uh, are often unpopular, even among other pastors and teachers and theologians who may be of a more progressive bent. You know, Pray for a holy boldness in your pastors and elders, as many of us are of a more timid personality, kind of like maybe young Timothy may have been. Uh, pray that we might learn to stand firm and stand up for the gospel and the truth of God as we should. And as, as church members, you know, many of you, we, we've had the privilege of accepting many of you into membership in recent Sundays. As members of the church, settle for nothing less than the preaching and teaching of the whole counsel of God. Acts twenty twenty seven. As As church members, don't ask that the rough edges, so-called, of the scriptures be smoothed out to avoid ruffling feathers. The Bible is often not a comfortable book. It is not an easy, uh, easy book in some ways. It ruffles our feathers because we have feathers that need to be ruffled at times. If we fail to support those who stand up boldly for the truth of God, we can be sure that we will see fewer and fewer men being willing to do just that. And so we must support them when we can. Notice how Paul describes himself in verse 8 again. His prisoner. Whose prisoner? Was he a prisoner of Nero He was in some sense, right? Was he a prisoner of Rome? He was in some sense. Whose prisoner was Paul? He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how Paul viewed his imprisonment. That is even how Paul viewed his upcoming martyrdom. It was all done under the sovereignty of Christ, and he was willing to do whatever he had to do uh, under Christ's command and suffer whatever things Christ deemed necessary. He was Christ's prisoner. You know, it's not the first time Paul said such a thing. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he says there, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He wrote Ephesians and other letters like Philippians. They're called the prison epistles. Imagine having a bunch of your letters titled that. Paul did a lot of writing of books of our Bible from prison. So his witness wasn't done away with by that imprisonment. We are still reading letters like this one that Paul wrote from those prison houses. So Paul was a prisoner of Christ and he entrusted himself, even his very life, easy to say and hard to do, to the safekeeping of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the right way to go about it. You do what Christ tells you to do and you entrust him for the consequences. That's the right thing to do. He trusted that the Lord Jesus Christ knew and knows what he is doing. And that as long as he was doing the will of God, he entrusted the results to God. He entrusted the conversion of sinners. Those of his hearers who heard the gospel he entrusted their conversion to Christ. He also entrusted to Christ the consequences from those who rejected his message of salvation in Christ. He entrusted both those things to Christ's good purposes. That's what we too must do if we're going to be faithful to Jesus Christ as his servants. Whatever we go through, what we go through that for him by his sovereign goodwill. If we suffer for the sake of Christ's name, he is able to take care of us even in all of that. Well, that brings us to the last of our three points this morning from verse 8. And that is we must also be willing to share in suffering for the gospel of Christ, for the message of the gospel. You know, Paul's going to spend much of the rest... Of this letter, explaining what this means and what it lo- what it looks like, when he tells later on in chapter four to preach the word, that's part of not being ashamed of the gospel. Everything else he says kind of bears this whole this whole thing out. He tells Timothy here, share in suffering, verse eight, for the gospel by the power of God. What Paul is saying here is probably better rendered, share, uh, really suffer with me. The word me is kind of implied in the text. He's not just saying share. He's saying share in with me. You see the suffering I'm doing? Be willing to share in that with me. That's what he's getting. And now, was Paul a super Christian? Was he some kind of superman that he could do all these things? And, you know, what we know of Timothy was he was a young man. He may have been kind of timid in some ways, and Paul had to kind of shore him up. Did he expect superhuman things from Timothy? Did he say these things lightly? Suffer with me. Come on, let's all die together. Why not? Was, was Timothy that kind of a person? Probably not. But what does he say? He says to do that by the power of God. Maybe you're sitting here and we're reading this text. And you're thinking, man, I don't know. You know, Paul got his head chopped off in Rome under Nero. Not for a crime, but for preaching the gospel. I confess to you the same. Maybe you're thinking the same thing. I am a natural born coward and maybe you are too. But you suffer by the power of God. God gives you the grace and the power to do his will when you need it. What does John 15 say? Jesus there says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not an exaggeration. And it certainly includes suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, you and I can endure all things for the sake of the gospel. And think about this. I know um, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, well, pastor, you know, stinks for you because you're a pastor. I'm not. He's he's reading, he's, he's writing this letter to Timothy. Well, Timothy's a pastor. You're the ones that have to worry about that, not us. We just, you know, we get a free pass. Well, I hate to disappoint, uh, but the scripture doesn't say that, does it? Certainly, Paul was the tip of the spear, and Timothy was somewhere near the tip of the spear, but um, it's not just pastors who are called and missionaries who are called to suffer uh, in some ways for the name of Christ. In Philippians, also written from prison, right? Philippians 1 verses 27 to 30. Listen to what Paul writes to the whole church. This wasn't written to Timothy alone. It was written to the whole church. Philippians 1 27 to 30. Paul says only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or in, or am absent. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Sound familiar? Same kind of thing. This, he says, is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Here it is For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here. That I still have the same conflict contending for the faith. And he says there it's been granted given to you, right, for the sake of Christ, not just to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's the witness, the consistent witness of scripture, not just to pastors and elders and evangelists, but to all believers in some way to stand up for the truth of God and even to suffer and be willing to suffer for his sake. So it's not just your pastor and your elders who are called to contend for the faith. The whole church, every believer together alongside each other is to what? Stand firm, he says, in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by our opponents. That's what Paul says. I kind of picture it as a, you know, Maybe you've seen some of the old you know, Gladiator and Braveheart and these old movies with battle scenes where the, the soldiers are all lined up. you know, The shields are all in a row in a phalanx kind of thing. That, that's kind of the picture I'm seeing here, side by side, standing together for the faith. And why do we do that? Because it's been, verse 29, it's been granted by Christ, by God himself, that we should do that. It's been granted, given to us for the sake of Christ, not only to believe Unto salvation, but to suffer for his sake. And even that willingness to suffer is a testimony, isn't it? In some ways, it's kind of a frightening testimony. What does he say in that passage? This is a clear sign to them, the haters of Christ, a clear sign to them of their destruction. When you're willing to suffer for the sake of the truth of God and the gospel. By the grace of God, may all of us who believe in Jesus Christ learn to live out the words of the song that we sang just a little while ago. In the service, that old classic hymn by Isaac Watts, uh, I'm Not Ashamed to Own My Lord, one of the verses says this, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause, maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. May God work in us by his spirit that you and I might not be ashamed of the gospel in any way and not ashamed to own our Lord Jesus Christ as our own, that we might not be ashamed to defend his cause but maintain the honor of his word and the glory of the cross of Christ, our Savior. Amen. let's let's pray.